The following podcast features views and opinions that are not representative of the collective views of the Whispers groups. Some of these views may not be suitable for children. Accordingly, the producers and hosts of the Missy AE podcast must insist that no one attempt to take anything that is being said as representative of the views of any of the Whispers groups. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another edition of the Missy AE podcast. Tonight, we bring to you Sports Whispers Weekly, where we talk nothing but sports for the next three hours, or for as long as Blog Talk Radio will, will keep us on the air. Uh, I am your host, Steve Kent. I am joined, as always, by Lou. Uh, and Yo. by the way, apology, apologies to some, uh, or apologies to those who were who were uh, listening to this podcast using headphones. I don't know what the hell that noise was at the beginning of the show, but um, I guess that's typical blog talk. Uh, yeah. A, Uh, uh, A special announcement to kick off tonight's show. Uh, As I've mentioned before, the podcast can be found on Blog Talk Radio slash Missy AE or on iTunes by searching Missy AE. However, we are now available on Amazon Music by searching for Missy AE on Amazon Music. Anybody who has an Amazon account, you need an Amazon account, obviously, in order to uh, subscribe, but uh, we can now be found on Amazon Music, so feel free to subscribe to us on there. You'll get all the same benefits that you get on iTunes or on Blog Talk Radio. Uh, just just another, another outlet uh, for us to reach out to here with uh, Amazon Music. So thank you, Amazon Music, for reaching out to us earlier this week. Uh, a programming note, too. A programming note to uh, Lou, we will not be doing a show uh, on the 25th of September because I have been invited to a uh, to a New England Revolution game, and I kind of I kind of figure I've never been to a Revolution game before, so uh, we will have that night off for the uh, for the Sports Whispers Weekly Pod. Gee, that's bad news for Rebels fans like me. <laughs> yeah, you know, I don't, I don't know who, I don't know who we're, uh, who we're, who we're playing. I think it's Orlando City. I might be wrong. Uh, I'll have to double check. Uh, well, one of my other colleagues uh, is from that area, so he was for Orlando. <laughs> oh. Oh well. Uh, Sorry. Unfortunately, I think he's, I think he's probably going to have a bad night then that night. Uh, uh, I know. Well, that depends actually if Matt Turner uh, is still with the team or if he'll be officially with right. the men's national team because the men's national team obviously they're getting ready for the World Cup and uh, Matt Turner was among one of the names that was officially called up to the men's national team right. again. So. Uh, you know, obviously the hottest goaltender going right now in, in Major League Soccer. Uh, there's other uh, other yes. soccer players that we have to talk about. Uh, obviously, we know uh, Lionel Messi joined Paris Saint Germain earlier this yes. earlier this summer. However, there is another big name on the number two as Cristiano Ronaldo. Is returning to the Manchester United after leaving for Real Madrid 
uh, 12 years ago. Now he is returning to Manchester, uh, to the Manchester United, 12 years later on a two-year deal uh, worth reportedly 15 million euros uh, with the potential to rise it up to 23 million. And it's one of the biggest transfers of the summer uh, for the sport of soccer. What's that in American money? Uh, I believe it's around $33 million in American wow. money. Wow. I, I, asked, I asked Nick about that, too, and I believe it is, I believe it is around $33 million, um, hmm. which he believes, honestly, is kind of cheap for the Manchester wow. United to have paid that, that cheap of a transfer. Because I guess, huh. you know, I guess apparently even though Ronaldo is older, uh, he's two years older than Messi. He's still worth right. a, a shit ton of money. Basically. Yeah, that's a shitload of money right there. What do you mean cheap? Come but, on, thirty-three million. I mean, I wouldn't. You know, we see we see athletes around uh, in the United States making thirty-three million dollars a year, and I don't think that's cheap. No, but obviously maybe, the Euros maybe, have a different view than we do. Yeah, but may, maybe it's different over there, uh, overseas, mm. when it comes to what rate. contracts are worth and everything. Mm. Uh, but it is a two; it is officially a two-year deal, and uh, he will return to. It, it's weird. Originally, uh, he was going to go to Man City, from what right. it sounded like. From what it sounded like, but apparently, yeah, uh, things broke. Things broke down there, and instead, he ended up uh, rejoining Manchester United. Uh, twelve year, twelve years after leaving. And yeah, now he'll he'll come in to try and add to uh, to a United goal record that saw him score 118 times for the Red Devils. Yeah. And it looks like their first. It looks like his first game may be against Newcastle United, from what it sounds like. Hmm. Um. Lineup wise, he'll lead the line likely ahead of uh, Jadon Sancho, Bruno Fernandez, and Mason Greenwood until Marcus Rashford comes back from injury. Uh, once Rashford is back, they say expect to see Sancho flip over to the right while Greenwood would head, would head to the bench. This will move Paul Pogba into a deeper role, likely limiting his assist potential. Uh, says here, though, it remains to be seen. Uh, hang on a minute. For some reason, when I moved downward, it moved my entire notes all the way down. Mm. Uh, it remains to be seen how this exactly will impact set plays, but it's a safe assumption that Ronaldo will probably take over penalty duties while Luke Shaw, uh, Sancho, and Bruno take on dead ball situations. Now, yeah. you know, this this is a pretty big deal for the sport of soccer because obviously, you know, Messi and Ronaldo, they've been two of the biggest names for years uh, yeah. over there. Uh, honestly, probably two of the biggest names since David Beckham retired. But, yeah, uh, you know, I think... Can't let it on. There was a rumor... There, there was a rumor that if Manchester City... Uh, if that fell through, that 
he could potential that he could have potentially gone over to major league soccer. That would have been there great. Was talk that, yeah, it would have been it would have been huge for major league soccer. Are you kidding me? You want to talk about you want to talk about coverage? You want to talk about media coverage? Uh, they definitely get they definitely get the gigantic boost that they've been that they've been looking for to have such a huge star like uh, like Ronaldo join. Uh, join the league, but no, he he still st- he still stays over in the Premier League, and I mean I, I got to tell you, my friend said that it, it came as a as a pretty huge surprise to him that Ronaldo uh, would would sign with uh, with Manchester United because I mean yeah. it seemed pretty much all but certain that he would go to Manchester City. So, That's what it was supposed to be. Yeah. That's that's yeah. basically where everything was lining up, and for some reason, you know, he the, uh, whether that was just a smokescreen to begin with, or if the talks were were really that serious. Apparently, things fell through, and here we are with uh, with Ronaldo now rejoining uh, the United. Uh, but what what are your thoughts on this uh, on this overall, Lou? Because with Ronaldo being such a huge talent, does this hold the potential to maybe shift the balance of power out there? Hell yeah! I mean, this is going to be Manchester used big opportunity here when you get a star like when you get a star like him, and you know that's going to, that's going to be in their favor. I mean, you know what was you know what is the loss over in Spain is now the is now the big game. Uh, for Manchester, for uh, Manchester United, if only it would have been, you know, done here. I mean, I think it would be great to have him over in the U.S. So we get snubbed yeah, again. Actually, yeah, obviously, we, uh, you know, we th- there was a possibility that maybe Messi would come over. That was obviously never going to happen. Uh, then there was talk that maybe maybe Ronaldo could come up, could cross over. But that didn't happen. And by the way, uh, I am actually I'm looking at the uh, at his stats right now. Uh, he was not with Real Madrid the past couple of years. The past couple of years, he was with Juventus. Right. So uh, he was with Juventus the past four years, scoring a total yeah. of 81 goals within the Serie A league. Uh, but still. You know, just uh, just looking at at his combined totals through 613 matches, he he has 479 goals scored, mm-hmm. league wide. That is now obviously when it comes right. to the national cup, the national cup he has 41 career goals. Uh, obviously, since he's returning to the Premier League, he'll be back in the League Cup more than likely and probably continental as well. So there's, it, it, it seems, it seems like for the, le- for the later portion of his career, he's basically coming back to quite frankly, where, where he made, where he made his name essentially. Yes. So this, uh, I, I know, uh, 
definitely, you know, my friend, my friend was was definitely caught off guard by this because he did he did not see uh, this taking place as quickly as it did, coming together as quickly as it did. Um, but yeah, you know, we're we're gonna see now just exactly what kind of shift this may have on the uh, on the power. The the uh, the powers over there, uh, the soccer, the different soccer powers. I mean, obviously, Juventus, you know, losing losing Ronaldo is going to be pretty devastating to their squad. I mean, it's going to open up probably new opportunities for other players. But uh, yeah. losing a star like Ronaldo, that's basically that's basically like if the Yankees were to lose Aaron Judge right now. I mean, yeah. you, you talk about losing a heavy hitter, essentially. If they make you yeah, now, if they make you Yankee here, it's going to be better. Uh, they just lost uh, their uh, winning streak. So, are you guys happy now? Yeah, I saw three to three to two loss to Oakland. Uh, Aaron Judge yeah. got them on the board in the ninth inning, but um, but they ended up getting shut down the rest of the way. Uh, I believe uh, Cortez got the loss. I think Nestor Cortez. Yes. And I know, I know he kept the Yankees in it. Uh, I believe he only gave up two earned runs. I believe it was, yeah, uh, total. So, team uh, a thirteen game winning streak. I mean, obviously you had to lose at some point, but uh, yeah, it just happened that they ended up losing on a night that the Red Sox did not blow a game. So, yeah, but still, but still though, the Yankees, you know, they do have. I'm pretty sure they have a considerable lead right now in the in the wild card. I mean, they're up by two right. games over Boston. So I still thought, I mean, barring an absolute collapse here in sep- coming in September, uh, I see the Yankees holding on. I think that they'll probably make make it as one of the wild cards. I think, if anything, Boston has more to worry about than the Yankees do. With the majority of games in September at home, I think it is almost a given that they will make the postseason as of at least a wild card because they don't lose that many games at home. So I think it's uh, safe to say it. Yeah, they're thirty nine. They're thirty nine and twenty five at home compared to thirty seven and. I'm trying to look at the other number. Uh, thirty seven and twenty eight away. So. Uh, they definitely they have a slightly better home record than they do away, uh, but yeah, you know, like, like I said, barring an absolute collapse in the uh, in September yeah. here, you know, the Yankees should probably be able to hang on, and I'm pretty sure that I believe. They face the Red Sox at least one more time, I think, this this year, right? I think so, yeah. Yes. I think it's possible. I think it's possible we may have a Chris Sale uh, matchup against Garrett Cole coming up mm. whenever that next uh, whenever that next series is. <laughs> okay. But. I mean, you know, taking a look at the landscape of Major League Baseball right now, 
I mean, obviously, you know, I'm surprised that Cincinnati is not only hanging in there, but it looks like they they may have strengthened uh, their hold a little bit on the wild card because they, I think they were only leading San Diego by what a game, maybe half a game yes. last week. Now they lead by a game and a half. I mean, granted, it's only. A one game different, uh, one game differential compared to last week, but uh, Cincinnati, they're still hanging in there. I mean, granted, they're probably out of the, they're probably out of the division at this point, eight games back uh, mm-hmm. against Milwaukee, because Milwaukee, you know, even though Milwaukee is on a two game losing streak, Cincinnati just can't pick up the wins when Milwaukee, whenever Milwaukee yes. loses. So I think Milwaukee probably has that division wrapped up. Uh, looking at some so of the other divisions, looking at some of the other divisions, Tampa Bay, uh, they seem firmly in place in the East. Uh, New York, yeah. obviously second with four and a half games back, but they do have a two-game wild card lead over Boston. Uh, Boston is in the second wild card spot currently by three and a half games over Oakland. Uh, the White Sox, they, I mean, let's face it, they're so far ahead of Cleveland and, and Detroit that the AL Central isn't even isn't even a competition at this point. Uh, Houston, they have a six-game lead over Oakland, so it looks like the AL West is starting to uh, fall out of hand here um, yeah. when it comes to when it comes to the uh, the divisional race. The National League East, you have Atlanta leading Philadelphia by five games. Uh, Doesn't help that Philadelphia lost a couple of games to the Mets either. Uh, Let's see. We also have, let's see, I mentioned Milwaukee. San Francisco, they lead the Dodgers by two and a half, and they lead San Diego by 15. So, if anything, I'd say probably the wild card in in the National League is still there's still potential that San Francisco and LA could switch places in the uh, National mm-hmm. League wild card, uh, but both both regardless would still have a, a very comfortable lead in the wild card. So I think you could consider both San Francisco and the Dodgers as locks for the playoffs this year. I think I would. I mean, I would th- I would think so at least. Uh, we do have some other baseball notes to talk about. Miguel Cabrera, he officially connected for his 500th home yeah. run of his career last Sunday against the Blue Jays, uh, off of a changeup from Blue Jays pitcher Stephen Matz. Uh, he blasted it an estimated 400 feet over the right center field wall, with an exit velocity of 104.1 miles per hour. So now Cabrera at 35 years old becomes the 28th player in Major League history and the sixth foreign-born hitter to reach the milestone of 500 home runs. And he is also just one of nine players to reach that 500 home run mark while also carrying a career batting average above the 300 mark. I mean, imagine how hard that is, Lou, to be able to stay consistent like that 
and yet still have that still have that power to to be able to smash 500 home runs throughout you know throughout the uh wow. the duration of your career yeah that is something i mean especially when teams are constantly changing constantly changing up changing up how they approach you Yeah, I mean, because, you know, it's not like when we were young. They had stayed on, you know, longevity and whatnot. Very few players, you know, stay with the same team their entire career. Yeah, yeah, very very few players. I mean, Cabrera is the is, Tigers. Unless you is, uh, is Molina. Yeah, exactly. Uh, in that case, you mean Yadier Molina. Uh, yes. just agreed to a one-year, $10 million contract extension, which will be the final contract of his career, uh, as he stated earlier last week, or earlier this week, actually, I should say. Uh, shortly after we went off the air, I believe, they came to an agreement um, yes. last week that for for ten million dollars, and that it's basically going to be a farewell tour for him at the age of thirty nine, um, playing all eighteen, soon to be nineteen of uh, his major league seasons in St. Louis. Uh, and actually, the uh, president of the St. Louis Cardinals did uh, indicate that twenty twenty two would be Molina's final season of his Hall of Fame career. Uh, I mean, there's a, it's, it doesn't happen often where a player stays with one team for all of his career. I mean, you would think that I, obviously, you know, Yadier Molina, he was a franchise player for many years uh, alongside Albert Pujols as well uh, when Pujols was a St. Louis Cardinal. But you would think – that loyalty isn't really a you know it's not really a common thing that you see in that you see in any sport regardless uh you know whether it's right. baseball football or whatnot usually players always go for where the money is and it's not often that you see somebody stay with one team for all of their career No, this thing well, is anyway. What do you think? Well, what what do you think of that, Lou? Are you are you surprised that uh, no that Molina is uh, despite him having a Hall of Fame career uh, that he you know he hasn't even tried to at least chase one more World Series title before he uh, calls it a career. Well, when you think about you know I think you know every well every you know player wants to get at least one World Series title. But you know his time is running out. But uh, maybe he he's thinks he can, uh, he can give it. I mean, you know, would be one more with this with this team. Who knows? Maybe, maybe. But he, I mean, he's got he's got two already with St. Louis, uh, winning in two thousand six and two thousand eleven. That one got away. That one I got. That one was like you know. Ugh. I mean, they should. I mean. Because not for nothing, I think, you know, uh, the Rangers should have won that. 
Yeah, uh, that was wasn't Ron Washington the uh, the coach of the Rangers at that point? I think so. Yes. I'm trying. I'm trying to remember if it was Washington or if it was uh, or if it was somebody else because I remember Ron Washington. A lot of people were looking at him as uh, as you know being probably or possibly uh, the Rangers uh, manager for the future for the foreseeable future at that time. And not too long after that, I believe, he left. After that collapse in the 11th inning, uh, yeah, I would think so. Yeah, but believe it or not, Yadier Molina, he's actually been to the World Series four times. 2004 against the Red Sox, 2006. 2011 and 2013 again against the Red Sox. Hmm. Now, obviously, we know how 2004 and 2013 played out, but uh, still, you know, he's probably one of the most decorated catchers in recent memory uh, that that we can recall here. I mean, ten-time MLB uh, MLB All Star. Uh, he's yes. been a he he has a silver slugger award as a catcher, a nine time gold glove award winner, including four times getting the platinum glove award uh from Rawlings as well. I mean there's a there's a whole list of things that I can uh, that I can go down here for for his uh achievements. Not to mention uh he holds the current MLB record for consecutive playoff games started with 83 consecutive games, as well as uh, the four Platinum Glove Awards won. He also holds a couple of St. Louis Cardinal records as well. Consecutive opening day starts at catcher with 15 straight. Uh, that ended up being broken in 2020, I believe, because I think he started off the season injured. Uh, consecutive yes. seasons leading the team in batting average as catcher with two consecutive seasons, uh, nine, t- nine uh, gold gloves as, uh, as a catcher, 120 defensive runs saved as a catcher, as well as, you know, the playoff appearances that I mentioned before, uh, and also playoff hits for a career with 89, uh, the highest St. Louis, it's hard to believe the highest St. Louis Cardinal uh, to have the most playoff hits for his career in a Cardinals uniform. But he's definitely, definitely decorated. Uh, Now, the big question, is he a a first ballot? Wait, say it again. Is is Yadier Molina a first ballot Hall of Famer? I would think so. I mean, with two World Series rings and whatnot, his longevity, yeah, I think he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. I would believe. I would believe so, considering his stat, considering his stats, considering yeah. all of his achievements. As a matter of fact, could he be potentially in the running for unanimous? I think it's possible, or stretch, or he could tie he could tie Jeter because didn't Jeter get ninety nine instead of a hundred, 
or yeah. Peter was off by like one vote. Right. I don't know about unanimous. I mean, I think there's going to be some naysayers out there that doesn't think he, you know, gets that, you know, even though despite the two World Series titles. But, you know, to have that happen again, I, I, I got it. But it will be very, really, really very high. Yeah, I think I, I think it'll definitely yeah. uh, it'll definitely be high. I, I think it also will probably depend on who he's up against uh, in that specific class of uh, of Hall of Fame candidates. But I would assume that he's probably going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer because you you just oh, take no a look at that. his resume. You just take a look at his resume, and it's hard to imagine. That 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 you're not looking at a first ballot Hall of Famer with every uh, with all the stats that he's put up throughout his career. I mean, granted, the home run number is a little low, 168, but actually, 168 homers is pretty high for a catcher. I think, considering yeah. not a lot of not a lot of catchers are normally known for power hitting, so. Uh, 168 is pretty high for a catcher, I think. Uh, he's he has a career yes. batting average of 280, uh, 983 uh, career RBIs currently. So probably next year he'll be over a thousand, uh, assuming he doesn't get injured or something. 69 stolen bases. Harry you know, it's, I think that the numbers are definitely there. Uh, over 2,000 hits as well, 2,092 hits. Oh, that's consideration. So, yeah, and plus uh, he's about three doubles away from reaching 400 career doubles as well. So I think it's a no-brainer that, worthy. He's, worthy. that he's worthy of being a first ballot Hall of Famer, especially considering he's also been one of the best defensive uh, defensive-minded catchers in the game for at least the past couple of decades, the the past the past two decades that he's played in the league. Yeah, I think he has to be considered, you know, often with those stats. Okay, so it wasn't the home run here that you know kind of goes associated with Hall of Fame, but you have to look at the other other statistics as well, and I think that should also count for it. Oh, they definitely, they definitely should count for uh, when you when you keep in mind the fact that he's won nine Gold Gloves. Are you kidding me? Nine for especially, yeah, especially for the uh, for the, the the consistency that you have to have as a catcher in order to. Uh, and then plus, he had, he had probably he had probably one of the best arms in the league when it comes to throwing out. Uh, throwing out runners, so I would find yeah, it hard don't put to him as a first dog. You people are nuts. Yeah, I, I mean, just if I if I'm looking at it, now keep in mind, I'm a you know I'm a Red Sox fan, so of course I would be biased right. when it comes to Red Sox players. But see, looking at it from, I'm still pissed off by the way that Jason Baratek didn't make it, even though he's caught four no hitters. Uh, in his career, um, but you know, ju- just looking at it from the mind of a Red Sox fan, if I had a vote, 
I would I would cast my vote for uh, for Yadier Molina. But obviously, like I said, it depends on who else is there with him. But you know, that, this is kind of like I would also probably cast my vote for Kurt Schilling. Now, yet partially because he uh, he helped lead that 2004 Red Sox team, but. Also, I mean, it's real simple. You know, take whatever biases you may have either for or against a certain player and just look at the statistics. And in Yadier Molina's case, it's definitely Hall of Fame, uh, Hall of Fame worthy uh, statistics that he presents. Yeah, but yeah, you you can't deny that. Yeah, but you know the the Cardinals obviously you know they got one more year of Molina, so they're going to have to start investing in a uh, in a replacement for him when the time comes. And mm-hmm. who knows, maybe maybe you may see that happen as soon as this upcoming draft potentially, if there's any. Uh, if there's any oh, yeah. notable catchers coming in this uh, this upcoming draft uh, next year. Now, uh, staying in the National League, the San Diego Padres have apparently found a scapegoat for their recent losing streak that they've been on uh, as they have fired pitching coach Larry Rothschild uh, after losing eight out of ten games and falling to the second National League wildcard spot uh, with the Reds pulling ahead, they decided to have a scapegoat, and that happened to be Larry Rothschild, which, correct me if I'm wrong, wasn't he a former Yankee uh, coach? I don't know if he was a pitching yes. coach or if he was – was he a pitching coach or was he a bench coach or something? I think he was a bench coach. Well, regardless, you know, I still I still remember hearing that name quite often whenever uh, the Red Sox would face off against the Yankees. So, um, yes. I mean, pitching has been a major issue for the Padres recently, but a lot of it has yes. to do with injury. So, to me, it just kind of seems like he was used mainly as a scapegoat, mainly to send a message, basically, to the rest of the team. So now Ben Fritz, who was previously the bullpen coach, will serve will serve as the interim pitching coach for the remainder of the season for the Padres as they look to uh, they look to climb back into the playoff race. And you know you would you would kind of have to think that with all the pitching that they have, that they've acquired over the past couple of years, you would have to think that things will get back to normal once everybody's back at 100%. Right. Because otherwise, well, oh. you know, you may you may have just fired Larry Rothschild for nothing. If there's going to be no difference, if, if, if it's going to show no difference whatsoever uh, in this team's, in this team's pitching performances, Uh, oh, also Trevor Bowers, 
Trevor Bowers, what's it called, has been extended. The uh, administrative leave yeah. has been has been extended for at least another week, I believe, due to the ongoing investigation that's going on with that's going on with him. As apparently his case has now been handed over to the police officially to the district attorney. Um, out it's there the in Pasadena. So yeah, it's it's now official. It's now starting to move forward, basically. And yeah. maybe perhaps, maybe perhaps we're we're closer now to, uh, you know, some sort of decision coming here. Yeah, but uh, the thing is, uh, you know, every week it gets uh, moved up. Yeah. Well, it always get it always gets moved up because you know it's not in the hands of Major League Baseball; it's in the hands of the police, basically. Uh, you know, yeah. the longer that this thing, the longer that the, that this thing uh, extends, you know, Major League Baseball can't really do anything about it. So. They have to basically uh they're waiting until they get the official decision from from uh the legal system to determine what they're actually gonna do with Bauer. Uh there's the possibility that a suspension may be handed down for not just the rest of the season, but uh who knows whenever you know, depending on what the result of this is, I mean obviously he could be in some legal trouble, uh, let alone, you know, being able to try and play baseball, uh, if any of the if any of these accusations, you know, check out, it's entirely possible this could be very damaging to 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 his baseball career or whatever is uh, whatever is left of it, I should say. Right. Because there's probably not much left. Well, no, especially uh, considering uh, most of his Dodgers teammates apparently don't even want him to return. So, uh-huh. I mean, that should kind of that should kind of uh, kind of clue everybody in onto something here that you know yeah, he's not really not really popular uh, amongst amongst the Dodgers clubhouse at least. But as of now, he still isn't charged with a crime. Uh, however, that could—I mean, this is a, this is an evolving situation right now. So, right, it very well could come down with, uh, you know, it very well could come down with something, uh, with some sort of punishment or maybe potentially jail time, depending on what happens here. Mm. Um. Now, he did have a huge win in court last week, and I believe we talked about this on the on the pod. After a judge dismissed yes. his accuser's request for a permanent restraining order, determining that the pitcher's actions did not exceed the limits that were set by the victim, and as for her injuries, the judge said that they are not the result of anything she told Bauer that she objected to. And the judge also ruled that Bauer did not pose a continual threat. So 
um, basically that that means obviously no you know no restraining order was needed quite frankly so but still this is you know an ongoing an evolving situation basically and you know who knows when it comes to what may potentially happen here i mean for all we know a decision could be handed down tomorrow Uh, twins, twins star, uh, starter Tenta Maeda is set to undergo elbow surgery, so he is out for the rest of his career, uh, for the rest of the year. Sounds like he may need a full Tommy John surgery. So if that's an, if that's true, oh, then he may be out for the entire 2022 season. Because uh, Tommy John surgeries typically require rehab timelines of 14-plus months. Um, And it says here, even a surgery of lesser severity could potentially threaten his readiness for the start of next season anyways. Uh, Also done for the year is Reese Hoskins of the Philadelphia Phillies, which this couldn't have come at a at a worse time for the Phillies organization who are trying to make the playoffs. Uh, it has been reported that he will undergo surgery to repair a tear in his lower abdomen, according to MLB.com's Todd Zalecki. Uh, he was placed on the 10-day injured list uh, a couple days ago. And safe to say the Phillies' offense has flat-out struggled since they lost Reese Hoskins for the year. As, yeah, it was, uh, runs have been hard to come by, basically, for, uh, for, this, Phillies, for this Phillies' offense. So, needless to say, that could, that may have been a uh, a death blow basically to the Phillies uh, the Phillies chances potentially of contending this year. Also, the Phillies they optioned infielder Alec Bohm to AAA Lehigh Valley. Uh, the 25-year-old struggled mightily this year, battling or batting only 245 with seven homers and uh, through th- 373 at bats. It's kind of it's kind of weird to say that somebody is struggling mightily when yet they have a 245 batting average with seven homers. Maybe it's because he's considered to be one of their top young players and they're expecting a hell of a lot more out of him. But obviously, with the with the, the way his contract is, Phillies were still able to option him. Uh, instead of obviously, you know, uh, sending him down outright. So he does still remain on the 53-man roster, which obviously we're only a couple of days away from – or not 53-man, 40-man roster. I'm thinking football now for some reason. Uh, We are just a couple of days away from Major League Baseball expanding their rosters. So he'll probably be on his way up anyway. first. Uh, yep, yep, that's right. Uh, over in hockey, man, has there been some movement this week. As a matter of yeah. fact, earlier today, 
Uh, the Montreal Canadiens, they may be losing one of their top young players. And yeah. the Carolina Hurricanes, the Carolina Hurricanes have tendered an offer sheet to restricted free agent Jasperi Kokaniemi, okay. uh, which he has. He has officially signed it. He's just waiting on an answer from the Canadiens whether or not they are going to match it or if they're going to uh, take the compensation, which the compensation for this deal is a first and a third-round pick in this, in this upcoming draft. Oh, gee, what to do, what to do. So... The Hurricanes, they're going to be paying a pretty steep price for a guy who only registered five goals and 15 assists uh, in 56 there games last year. Uh, he is a forward. I know. I mean, I mean, is it worth it? Is it worth it? I mean, he didn't do very well only five goals. So, you know, I'm thinking, is it really worth it? Well, he is only 21. Oh, all right. Well, well. He's young. He is only 21. He is only 21, and he's two years removed from a from a near 20 goal season. Hmm. So, you know, he, he's still developing. You know, maybe perhaps the Montreal system, uh, the system that Montreal uses when it comes to their offense, maybe perhaps that just doesn't he, he isn't really a good fit maybe for their system and That's perhaps maybe coming over coming over to Carolina uh that could perhaps sort of progress him further to the type of player that you know a lot of people think that he could be yeah because I'm looking at I'm looking at where he was drafted. He was drafted third overall in 2018 by the Canadiens. And third actually, yeah, you know, I'm looking I'm looking at the stats right now. Uh, his first right. year in the league, uh, his first year in the league, he had 11 goals and 23 assists for 34 points. Uh, he had six goals the next year and and two assists. I believe that was during, obviously, the COVID uh, shortened year. Uh, mm-hmm. He did have 10 uh, in 10 playoff games that year, though. He did have four goals. So, uh, plus this year he had five goals and three assists in the playoffs in 19 games during their Stanley Cup run. Uh, but this year he had only five goals, 15 assists, for 20 points in 56 games during the regular season. So he's still, you can sort of see there's there's something cooking when it comes to his yeah. development. But I'm kind of wondering if maybe perhaps, because you see how his numbers declined after his first year. I'm kind of wondering yeah. if maybe it's a system issue as opposed to a player issue. Right. You know, because I was, you know, because that's just this thinking, you know, with the numbers the way they are, you know, I just didn't think, you know, it was going to be even worth the even consideration. Because I am a yeah. numbers person it, myself. 
I, I mean, you know, you, you just t- you take a look at the numbers that he's put up in the playoffs. Nine, uh, yeah. 29 career playoff games, he has nine goals and three assists. So yeah. it, it it just it seems like maybe perhaps it's just the system that he's in that. Right. I mean, he's definitely a playoff. He's definitely a playoff performer, but you know, obviously there are other options in front of him, you know, for the Canadians to rely on for scoring. So maybe perhaps if he's put in a bigger picture, like, mm-hmm. like say the, uh, the Carolina hurricane system, you know, maybe perhaps he may get more opportunity to shine over in Carolina as opposed to over in Montreal. Uh, we also had a uh, we had some pretty sad news actually hit the uh, yeah hit the news wire earlier this week as former Bruin former I believe he was a former Devil as well uh, former Panther yeah. former Blackhawk Jimmy Hayes passed away unexpectedly at the age of 31. Uh, leaving yes. behind his wife and uh, two young boys, uh, age age two and three months old, uh, boys. Uh, shame. Uh, he played in 334 career NHL games. Uh, his last professional season was in 2018-2019 with the AHL's Wilkes-Barre, Scranton Penguins. Uh, you know, Jimmy Jimmy Hayes is basically the He's he's the definition of a promising young player who completely yeah. fell off who completely fell off the wagon when it came to production. I mean, you take a you take a look at uh, obviously in Chicago, he didn't really do much. Uh, coming into no. coming into Florida, coming into Florida, he had a an eighteen point. Uh, season and a 35-point season before he ended up signing with Boston. Uh, Boston, his first year, he had 29 points, 13 goals, 16 assists. Then he fell off the wagon with only two goals and three assists in 58 games the very next year. Uh, Then he came to New Jersey, where he had only three goals and six assists in 33 games. And then after that, he spent the rest of his time in the AHL, uh, basically, trying to make his way back up into the majors. And, yeah, he hasn't played in, like, two years. Uh, but he was most noted most noted for being uh, a member of the Boston College Eagles uh, when they won the Beanpot, oh, yeah. I believe it was. Um. And as far as as far as what's been reported, they said there were no signs of foul play. Um, Steve, I'll be back there was about, an autopsy uh, just before eleven o'clock. Uh, other business okay. called in. I'll be back. Okay. Uh, there was an autopsy that was performed on Jimmy Hayes, but unfortunately, the uh, the person completing the autopsy couldn't identify what exactly killed him. 
Uh, a spokesman for the Office of Chief Medical Examiner wrote that they completed an autopsy in this case. The cause and manner of death remain pending, and an update is not expected for several weeks until basically toxicology results come back. So, uh, as far as as far as been what's been reported, you know, there isn't really. There hasn't really been a cause of death yet, and the only thing that they can really report, according to uh, those that found him at the scene, was that there was no sign of foul play whatsoever uh, related to his death. Still, though, some uh, very, very sad news. Uh, in the world of uh, professional hockey. So while we're at it right now, uh, I want to give a couple of thoughts. First, we're going to talk about SummerSlam and NXT TakeOver as well for a little bit. And also I'm going to touch upon uh, Woodley versus Jake Paul, uh, which is available on pay-per-view tomorrow night. Uh, I believe the fight starts at 8 o'clock, or the event starts at 8 o'clock, I think, uh, with Jake Paul taking on Tyrone Woodley, uh, former UFC champion. Uh, But first, let's talk about SummerSlam, because SummerSlam is supposed to have been WWE. I I know they said that WWE, they wouldn't issue a response to CM Punk debuting with AEW, but honestly, unless all of this was really planned ahead of time, when you look at what went down at SummerSlam, kind of makes you think that maybe perhaps there was, uh, this was maybe a potential response to CM Punk, you know, debuting with AEW. Uh, first off, just start, starting off here, uh, in the pre-show, Big E defeated Baron Corbin by pinfall. Uh, this basically had to do with Baron Corbin stealing his Money in the Bank briefcase, uh, which, by the way, if, if you guys haven't been paying attention at all to uh, SmackDown in recent weeks, uh, recent months, actually, they've been doing this gimmick with Baron Corbin about how he's broke and everything, and ever since losing the title of King, uh, to Shinsuke Nakamura, uh, how he's basically been down on his luck. I love the whole uh, down on his luck Baron Corbin, who now apparently he's turned uh, – they were in Vegas this week, and apparently his luck has now turned for the better, and now he's called Happy Corbin, I guess, because he's rich. He's rich once again and everything. Uh, I love what they're doing with his character. It, honestly, it kind of reminded me a little bit of uh, a little bit of the old Attitude Era, one of the old Attitude Era gimmicks for some reason. I don't know why. Uh, honestly, he looked a little bit like Al Snow if Al Snow had cut his hair, uh, pretty much shaved his hair almost bald back in the uh, if he had done that back in the Attitude Era. Uh, but he did lose uh, to Big E. Big E regained his money in the bank briefcase, even though he never really lost it. He just lost it physically. Uh, 
the very first match on the pay-per-view, RK Bro, the team of Randy Orton and Riddle, they defeated AJ Styles and Omos uh, to become the new Raw Tag Team Champions. Kind of saw this coming, considering the fact that RK Bro has been gaining steam. I mean, they they did get merchandise, uh, you know, from the WWE. They're now selling merchandise and everything. Uh, like I said, Randy Orton's Randy Orton's uh, program with Riddle wasn't it wasn't expected to be short term. It was probably going to be a long term thing. So this makes all the sense in the world as to why. Uh, they put the titles on them, and we're probably looking at a long reign, honestly, between the two. Now, obviously, you know, once they do end up losing the titles eventually, they'll probably split them up, and that'll lead to a match between the two, more than likely. Uh, Alexa Bliss defeated Eva Marie with Dewdrop at ringside by pinfall. Uh, this basically led to Eva Marie splitting with Dewdrop. Uh, on Dewdrop's behalf, might I add. Uh, I'm, I'm just so I'm, I'm so used to seeing her as Piper Niven. It's very hard to call her Dewdrop, but that's what they have her going by, I guess. Uh, I guess this is to set up Alexa Bliss basically challenging uh, Charlotte eventually for the Raw Women's title. Oops, did I just say a spoiler, even though we saw that coming anyways? Uh We'll talk about that in a little bit. In a little bit, anyways. But the next match saw Damian Priest defeat Sheamus for the United States title. Makes sense, you know. Damian Priest, they, he he has to work with Bad Bunny all the, leading up to WrestleMania. Ever since he got called up from NXT, so it's obvious that eventually they were going to do something with him. They were going to put some sort of title on him, not necessarily the world title, but maybe a secondary title or a tag team title. Uh, it was obvious that at some point he was going to hold uh, he was going to hold gold of some kind, and it just happens to be DC title changes take place because most eyes are on those major events. Uh, but Damian Priest getting the title makes the most sense here because it elevates him more as a single star, if anything, uh, which is something that WWE is is basically clamoring for at this point. Uh, the Usos, they successfully defended their SmackDown tag team titles against Rey Mysterio and his son Dominic by pinfall. Uh, didn't really see much of this match, but because then again we were doing we were doing the podcast at the time. But it was it, it made sense because the the bloodline, you know, for in order for them to be on top uh of SmackDown, everybody has to have the titles. So it made sense for the Usos to retain here. Becky Lynch, the returning Becky Lynch defeating Bianca Belair by pinball in just twenty six seconds. Now, I understand Bianca Belair, they had advertised all week long heading up to this match, even though they knew that that Sasha wouldn't be able to compete. They still, they still advertised it all week long, jipping uh, the viewers, basically, and there were a lot of fans that were pissed off at the arena 
when it was announced that Bianca versus Sasha would not take place and instead Bianca would face a replacement who at first was Carmella before Becky Lynch came out and kicked the shit out of Carmella. Then she ends up beating Bianca Belair after hitting, I think it was like two moves or something. And all of a sudden becoming the SmackDown women's champion in her first match after giving birth. Whoopee. I guess she's supposed to be a heel, apparently, even though she was cheered on SmackDown last night. She's apparently supposed to be a heel, a heel champion. Uh, But the crowd clearly doesn't care, apparently. Uh, In all honesty, you know, this, this basically told me that Vince pretty much can change his mind whenever he wants, and he doesn't give a shit at all what any investment that they put into certain wrestlers like Bianca Belair. They built her up to be this, to be this beast, you know, to uh, be a, a true force in the, in the WWE women's division. And, you know, all of a sudden just to have her get beat in 26 seconds by Becky Lynch. I mean, that basically just throws all of the buildup that you had on Bianca Belair the past couple, the past however many months since she won the title, or actually since she won the Royal Rumble, I should say. So the past eight months, all of that buildup that you've done, uh, all of that investment that you put into this into this uh, character, is gone within a span of 26 seconds, because now she's lost all of her steam, essentially. I would understand if Becky Lynch actually beat her legitimately, you know, if I wouldn't have been mad if it was, you know, like a 10 minute match or something, you know, just longer than come on. It's, it's sort of, I can understand why some fans see it as disrespectful because, you know, Bianca has basically carried the SmackDown women's division since WrestleMania the past five, four or five months or something like that. And then all of a sudden Becky Lynch comes back and she gets basically handed the SmackDown women's title in 26 seconds. I mean, it's it's just ridiculous that, uh, you know, WWE can – simply switch their minds like that. Now, I understand, you know, same thing kind of happened in the Attitude Era. You know, some folks, Steve Austin or The Rock were always champions, and, you know, they did pretty much those two and Becky Lynch are on the same level when it comes to merchandise and uh, draw power, basically, you know, uh, how much of a draw they are. So... I mean, I kind of understand it, but at the same time, you know, it's it's just kind of ridiculous, the fact that um, that they basically went this route when they could have made the match mean something, you know. Even if Becky Lynch came in and dominated Bianca Belair for the entire match. It still would have been a better showing than 
26 seconds. I, I guess Bianca Belair was stunned all that time that Becky Lynch was walking to the uh, walking to the ring, beating the shit out of Carmella, and then staring at Bianca for a couple of minutes. I guess apparently that was way too much time for Bianca to be to continue to be stunned like she was, uh, and I guess that that's way too big of a. Uh, way too big of an opening to allow Becky Lynch to capitalize like she did. So I, I just felt it was disrespectful to all Bianca Belair had put in the past couple of months carrying the SmackDown women's division. But what do I know? I'm only a fan. So uh, the next match, we had Drew McIntyre defeat Jinder Mahal by pinfall in a short four-and-a-half-minute four match. Uh, Veer and Shanky were banned from ringside. This was just basically something to give Drew McIntyre to do uh, while he's waiting to get back into the world title picture or any title picture. This was a way to basically give him an easy win, essentially. Not really, not really much uh, to add uh, on this particular match here. Uh, Charlotte Flair defeating Nikki A.S.H., almost a superhero, I guess, uh, and Rhea Ripley by submission to become, I've, I've forgotten how many title reigns she's had now on the main roster, but she's holding the title once again, the Raw, the Raw Women's title. And I said this as soon as this match was announced. I knew or actually, I shouldn't even say that. As soon as Nikki cashed in her Money in the Bank briefcase, I knew that she would be a transitional champion. It's just another way to give Charlotte Flair another title reign and, you know, basically get her one step closer to matching her father for his 16 world title reigns that he's had in his career. It's just one more one more title reign to move her one step closer. And there have been some fans that have been kind of getting sick and tired of Nikki's new gimmick already. So it's not really much of a shock that WWE took the belt off her just as quick as they put it on her. Because there's, it's it's like she was just randomly inserted into this program between Charlotte and Rhea Ripley to begin with. That you know, it it wouldn't make sense to keep the belt on her long, anyways. Now, obviously, of course, Charlotte will move on elsewhere, while Nikki. I mean, let's face it, Nikki may, may end up being a budget cut somewhere down the line, possibly, uh, considering this is a new thing, apparently, where WWE is going to release superstars at a, random, at a random time due to budget cuts. And then they'll just go on and sign with AEW. Uh, Edge defeated Seth Rollins by submission in a 21-minute match uh, I loved the brood tribute that they uh, gave for Edge, where he came out with uh, with the brood music. He had the uh, surrounded in a ring of fire and everything. Um, 
I love that tribute, even though it did cost Gangrel an opportunity with AEW. Uh, but it was a, it was a real good callback for uh, Edge since he started off his WWE career with the Brood with Edge uh, or with Christian and Gangrel. Um, so I I loved it. it. You know, it added a little a little extra dimension to this feud, if anything. Um, I don't know if they're going to continue it, but hopefully they do. Uh, Bobby Lashley uh, beat the shit out of Goldberg by referee stoppage. Uh, He even beat the shit out of Goldberg's son as well, who ended up uh, coming into the ring. Uh, I'm kind of wondering if maybe they're setting up something where maybe, I guess his son may be uh, training to be a professional wrestler or something. I don't know. But uh, Lashley retained his title, uh, defeating Goldberg. Honestly, not really much of a shock because it's hard to imagine a 55-year-old Goldberg being champion now. Uh, But I'm surprised the match even lasted as long as it did, seven minutes, ten seconds. Roman Reigns defeating John Cena by pinfall. This made sense, obviously considering that Roman Reigns has been one of the one of the biggest stars in recent WWE memory. And actually, there was a stipulation that if Reigns had lost, he would have left the WWE, which obviously was not going to happen. So uh, with him being WWE's top, top star, honestly, right now, I, you know, I would consider him to be the face of the WWE right now. Uh, he's, he definitely has the best character going as of now. And uh, they did just, his uh, stable did just add Naomi, I would assume, who just joined the SmackDown brand. And of course, her being married to one of the Usos, you gotta, you gotta think that she's probably going to be inserted into the bloodline stable at some point moving forward. Uh, but, this was a pretty good match. You know, it was definitely worthy of being the main event of SummerSlam. 24 minutes. Uh, Reigns ends up winning. Uh, Brock Lesnar makes a surprise return. Comes out, stares down Roman Reigns, basically. Then I guess after uh, after SummerSlam went off the air, uh, Lesnar then beat the shit out of Cena for a couple of minutes. And... I guess this is a, this is going to start a program where Heyman is now going to have to choose between Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar. So it'll be interesting to see where they go that uh, what route they go with there, with with Heyman, Reigns, and Lesnar. And I still think that Lesnar coming back. It was probably a last-minute thing because last I knew, he was up in Canada. He was filming some stuff for some YouTube channel or something. And, uh, you know, he he had completely changed his look. You know, he looks like a Viking now with his uh, with a Viking beard and his hair, uh, his hair tied up. You know, he's growing out his hair and everything. It's, you know, he didn't really look like he was planning on returning to the squared circle at any point. So it was kind of a bit of a shock. 
that um, that he did end up coming back and staring down Roman Reigns. I assume this is what Roman Reigns' next matchup is going to be against. Uh, I guess they're they're going to basically build up Roman Reigns as much as they can uh, by having him by having him face off against so many big names that eventually once The Rock comes in, uh, either The Rock beats him or The Rock loses and basically hands over the title of the head of the family uh, to Roman Reigns. But, you know, I guess that was WWE's response, like I said, to... CM Punk debuting on AEW and from what I've heard I've heard that isn't the last thing to expect from AEW uh, rumors actually have been floating around that at AEW All Out there will be a the debut of Brian Danielson known as Daniel Bryan in the WWE uh, I've also heard that Bray Wyatt is on his way as well for AEW, so those are a couple of big names that will be joining. Uh, CM Punk, obviously, is going to have his first match at uh, AEW All Out against Darby Allin. Uh, That's going to be a a pretty big match, I think, especially considering the type of stuff that Darby Allin usually always does. Uh, He's sort of a bit like CM Punk when, when Punk was younger, so maybe perhaps that could be a potential big, uh, uh, big match that they could that they could uh, end up putting on there at AEW All Out. Uh, Punk's return or Punk's debut has actually helped out Dynamite and Rampage a little bit in the ratings, but obviously, you know, not nearly enough to get anywhere near SmackDown. Maybe get maybe get close to Raw possibly, but uh, you know, it's still a long road ahead, basically, for uh, AEW. But it does look promising. Maybe, perhaps, uh, you know, it's, it's just it's good to have a, you know, it's, it's good to have a uh, second option to go to, pretty much, for when it, when it comes to... Uh, you know, wrestling companies and where fans want to want to turn want to turn their attention to. Now, uh, over to the upcoming Jake Paul Tyrone Woodley fight that is set to take place tomorrow night on pay per view. Jake Paul, man, you know, I've I've read. Uh, some tidbits from a couple of new uh, or a couple of uh, boxing uh, analysts that have said that this is good for the sport of boxing uh, with what the Paul brothers are doing. But honestly, you know, I, I still think that it's, I mean, I, like I said before, I give credit to, to Logan Paul for actually having the balls to go up against Floyd Mayweather and, I don't know if this is true or not with what Floyd is saying that uh, he surprised Floyd in his matchup uh, that they had a couple months ago. But 
he seems the more arrogant of the two Paul brothers. And Jake is 3-0 and right now in his boxing career uh, with wins over Azon Gibb, uh, Nate Robinson, which he made Nate Robinson look like a drunk, basically, with with how he uh, how he manhandled him in two rounds, uh, and a TKO win over Ben Askren in one round uh, in his last fight. Now he faces off though against Tyrone Woodley, who probably has the best striking out of all three out of all three soon to be four opponents that Jake Paul will have faced thus far. Now, will Jake Paul get respect if he does beat Tyrone Woodley tomorrow? Now, it is an eight-round fight. Uh, I think he might because as far as striking goes, this will definitely be the biggest test that Jake Paul will have faced in terms of uh, in terms of in terms of fighters with actual power behind their punches, because uh, even though Woodley was primarily a wrestler, he still had better striking than than fighters like Ben Askren in his MMA career. And Woodley does have legitimate knockout power, so you know if if Paul can get past Woodley and if he can. If he can manhandle Woodley, I, I know that a lot of people thought that the Ben Askren fight was fixed uh, and everything, and that led to you know huge backlash off of uh, on social media. You know there was, uh, as a matter of fact, there's still a whole bunch of lawsuits ongoing right now with Triller um, against people who allegedly said, or who said that they had allegedly um, pirated the fights. You know, I know I know that there's uh, there's a lawsuit going on right now with H three H three. I think the YouTube channel is called uh, Ethan Klein and stuff like that. You know, Troller is uh, is going after him. They're going after a whole bunch of people who said that they had pirated the fight uh, that night. But I think though that. You know, everybody everybody has been getting on Jake Paul because of that, because they felt that the fight was fixed, especially with how quickly Ben Askren got up. But yet the ref said, no, you're done. You're on wobbly legs. You're done. Even though it looked clearly obvious that Ben Askren was fine and that he was able to continue. Uh, it didn't help either that uh, pictures from after the fight showed Ben Askren smiling backstage as if he had as if he had just cashed in easy money. Um, but I do think that if at least the build-up that we've seen thus far uh, between Woodley and Jake Paul, matter of fact, something happened, I guess, earlier today at the weigh-in uh, that I guess a member of Jake Paul's camp was, ta- was uh, talking to, Wo- to Woodley's mother who is infamous for showing up to all of her son's fights, whether it's boxing or mixed martial arts. Uh, and she's been very vocal, you know, in, in the crowd, you know, you, you could be watching a UFC pay-per-view and you would be able to hear her uh, whenever Woodley was fighting uh, out, of, 
uh, out of uh, out of the audience, you know. Uh, so she's very vocal, and I guess something went down at the weigh-in earlier today between Woodley's camp, uh, between uh, Logan or not Logan, Jake Paul's camp and uh, Tyrone Woodley's camp that involved Woodley's mother. I guess I don't know the exact details of what happened, but it seems like the build-up to this to this fight is more serious compared to the Askren fight, um, the Robinson fight, obviously. You know, uh, I think this is legitimately the biggest test that Jake Paul has, will, will have had recently. And, you know, if he can pull this out and if he can do it decisively, then I think people will start taking him more seriously because Woodley is is clearly, you know, the biggest threat striking-wise that he will have faced in boxing. Now, I know know people are still going to say, you know, Woodley isn't really a boxer. You know, he's never fought professionally. He's fought professionally in mixed martial arts, but he hasn't fought uh, in boxing professionally, even though apparently he does have plans after this fight, win or, lo- win or lose. He has plans to continue to fight in boxing, apparently. Uh, but then again, you know, none of the, none of the, none of the fighters that Jake Paul has faced so far have had experience, prior experience. So, you know, it's, uh, the question will probably come up that if he does get by Tyrone Woodley, will they finally put up Jake Paul against a legitimate boxer? Especially considering the fact that, you know, unless unless Showtime is still willing to put on freak show fights, then maybe he'll just continue to face random people that probably haven't even boxed before. Uh, I would be interested to see what he can do against a legitimate professional boxer, though. You know, like, I'm not talking to anybody big like, uh, you know, like what his brother did and immediately challenged uh, Floyd Mayweather. I'm not talking, you know, any of those type of fights, but maybe if he fights, you know, maybe a fighter who's 2-0, and 3-0, you know, something like that, you know, start to put some legitimacy into, uh, into his fight record that, you know, maybe some fans will then start to take him more seriously because I do believe that there is potential with the Paul brothers, you know, as much, as much as I rag on them, and everything. They are young. Uh, they're very marketable. I mean, hell, just take a look at their just take a look at their uh, at their YouTube account and their YouTube brand that they put up. Uh, they, I mean, they started back in 2013, I think it was. You know, they have really progressed into uh, social media icons, basically at this point, to where. You know they're very marketable, uh, especially I want I want to see how good Jake Paul is going to be here uh, if 
he can handle Woodley the way that, you know, the way that a lot of, uh, the, the way that he says that he can, basically. But, you know, we'll see. We will see uh, what happens. Uh, hopefully, hopefully Lou can rejoin us because I want to get his thoughts on this uh, on this matchup here. Uh, but the fight is, or the event, I should say, is scheduled to take place tomorrow night on pay per view. Uh, I think it starts at eight o'clock or eight o'clock Eastern. I may or I may be right. I may be wrong. I don't know. Uh, I'll have to, you know, check that later on. But, uh, you know, I think still that Tyrone Woodley is, is probably the biggest threat that he will have faced uh, in his boxing career thus far. A uh, reminder for uh, anybody who may listen in, you know, we do have a Facebook group called Sports Whispers. Uh, you guys are more than uh, we're more than happy to have you guys be a part of our Facebook group. If you uh, if you go to Facebook, search Sports Whispers, ask to join in. Uh, you know we will uh, we'll review your uh, your request and and uh, we'll bring you in. Uh, we do have a games gridiron game that is set to that is set to start next week. I think it is. Uh, I'm one of the hosts of it, as is uh, Tim over in Sports Whispers, where you can basically you can you can pick, I think it's six regular season, well a total of seven regular season games, six uh, games either Saturday or Sunday, and then of course we have Monday the Monday night game that uh, gets picked every single week. Uh, it's a very fun group to be a part of. You know, there's a lot of sports discussion. We talk everything in there. We talk soccer. We talk baseball, basketball, hockey, football, wrestling, MMA, boxing. You know, you name it, we probably talk about it in there. So, once again, uh, it is Sports Whispers in Facebook. Uh, feel free to, uh, you know, to request to join in. And we will get you. Uh, we will get you guys in there. Uh, also, a reminder: uh, we are officially now on Amazon Music. So, if you have an Amazon account, uh, go into Amazon Music, search Missy AE, uh, hit subscribe. You'll get access to all of our shows that we've done uh, and the ones that we will have coming up. Uh, Obviously, you can also catch us on iTunes by searching Missy AE as well. Or you can go to blogtalkradio.com slash Missy AE. You'll get access, like I said, to all of our shows, including if you're a Survivor fan, we have uh, the Survivor Recap Podcast that we'll be doing uh, starting this upcoming Survivor season. I believe it starts the... 22nd, I think, September 22nd. Uh, we do also have currently a Big Brother recap podcast that is uh, currently going on. We just did another episode last night uh, where we recapped everything that went down during Sarah Beth's HOH reign. 
so if you're a fan of Big Brother, you know you can you can uh, you can uh, you know listen to uh, to the to the recap podcast. Also, if you are a fan of Survivor or Big Brother, feel free to join the Survivor Whispers or Big Brother Whispers groups by going to Facebook. Uh, search for Survivor or Big Brother Whispers. Uh, request to join, and obviously, you know, we'll review your request, and more than likely, you'll get accepted, and uh, you can chat about Survivor or Big Brother with everybody else uh, that is in the groups. Um, let's see. We do have some other some other topics to uh, talk about here. Uh, let me go back to the NHL for a second because, uh, let's see, I did bring up the Jimmy Hayes situation earlier. We do have some signings that took place earlier this week. Uh, Derek Brassard, he signed a one-year deal worth about eight, uh, 825000 so basically the veteran minimum uh, with the Philadelphia Flyers. He had eight goals and 20 points. Uh, in 53 games last year with the Arizona Coyotes. And while he has declined significantly in recent years um, in terms of his, uh, of his play, he could still prove to be a valuable middle six forward for the Flyers. Uh, I mean, if nothing else, this, you know, this cap hit that he has basically makes, makes him a low-risk signing for the Flyers who are looking – you know, to pretty much save as much money as they can anyways. Uh, Dylan Dube has signed a three-year contract with the Calgary Flames. His deal has an average annual value of $2.3 million. Last year with the Flames, he accumulated 11 goals and 22 points, along with 84 shots and 59 hits in 51 games last season. We do have some long-term deals as well to talk about. Sean Couturier, he signed an eight-year contract extension with the Philadelphia Flyers uh, worth an average annual value of seven and three-quarter million dollars per year, and that will start with the 2022-2023 season, uh, according to a report here. Uh, Philadelphia GM Chuck Fletcher described him as one of the premier two-way centers in the NHL. Uh, Sean has the rare talent to shut down opposing teams' top players while also contributing at a high offensive level. Uh, Throughout his 10-year career with the Flyers, he has proven to be the ultimate teammate. He carries an enormous presence inside our dressing room due to his preparation, determination, and drive to win. Uh, Last year, he accounted for 18 goals and 41 points in 45 games with the Flyers, and looks like he's probably going to end his career potentially with the Philadelphia Flyers due to this eight-year contract extension that he just signed. Elsewhere, uh, we talked about the Carolina Hurricanes earlier, but they did uh, agree to an extension with their young forward Andrei Svechnikov, uh, eight years worth about seven and three-quarter million per year. Uh, he's uh, 
according to the general manager, Don Waddell, or Waddell, Waddell, uh, Andre is one of the cornerstones of this organization, and we are thrilled to reach a long-term commitment to keep him here. He is one of the brightest rising stars in our sport and will play a key role in our efforts to bring the Stanley Cup to the triangle this decade. Uh, he has compiled 59 goals and 140 points in 205 games during his first three NHL seasons. And I think it's safe to say that if you're a Carolina Hurricane fan, you can probably expect around the same output these next couple of seasons or, the, you know, these, these eight seasons that he will have here with the Hurricanes moving forward, that is. Uh, also, Tuka Rask apparently wants to return to the Boston Bruins after he recovers from his hip surgery. Uh, as people may or may not know, he did play during the playoffs this year with a torn labrum. Uh, so it's the Bruins were fortunate to get uh, a high level of play out of him to begin with, considering you know the restrictions that ended up that ended up showing later on in the New York Islanders series in the uh, in the second round, which obviously the Bruins ended up losing. But uh, it's it's pretty impressive uh, the way that he was able to basically shut down the Washington Capitals while playing with the torn labrum and getting off to a good start at least uh, to start off the – Islanders series before everything went south. It says here that Rask does hope to sign a new contract with the Bruins. Uh, he said, I played with one team when I was in Finland. Uh, I've been so lucky to be a part of only one team in the NHL. For me, it's about that pride of playing for one team and one team only. I have no reason to chase the money anymore and go somewhere else. It's going to be one of those things where the Bruins are my home, Boston is my home. I've always wanted to play here, wanted to stay here, so the money won't be an issue. We had a conversation with Bruins general manager Don Sweeney, and I will be a cheap goalie for them. Given that it sounds like that he would be willing to take a team-friendly contract, uh, inking a new deal with the Bruins shouldn't be that complicated once he proves that he is officially healthy uh, returning closer to probably around playoff time, I think, is when they'll probably sign him. Uh, he had a 15-5-2 record this year, along with a 2.28 goals against average and a 91.3 safe percentage, uh, splitting time between himself, Yaroslav Halak, uh, Daniel Vladar, who is, of course, now with Calgary, and Jeremy Swayman, who will be the new backup to new Bruins goaltender Linus Olmark. So it kind of makes sense now why the Bruins dished out that amount of money uh, to Olmark. Over, honestly, some people believe that they overpaid Olmark, uh, considering that he hasn't really put up the numbers to warrant the amount of money he got in free agency. But... Uh, I kind of see now where the Bruins are going here because it looks like Tuka Rask, if anything, he's going to be probably more of a mentor moving forward as opposed to, I mean, maybe he'll see some 
maybe he'll see some playing time if he can prove he can stay healthy and you know maybe once once we get towards the playoffs maybe he'll uh you know maybe we'll see him play games in the playoffs but to me it looks like Tuka is probably going to be more of a mentor as opposed to you know actually playing meaningful hockey during the regular season but who knows you know I'm probably I'm probably wrong here but it wouldn't make sense to have three goaltenders you know on the same roster especially if with an elite goaltender like Tuka Rask it wouldn't make sense for him to basically sit in the press box basically uh, once he comes back healthy, unless he is going to switch into more of a mentor type of role. Now, obviously, when you get older, uh, the injuries they start coming. They start coming more and more. So, you know, perhaps this is something that they're preparing for. Uh, to officially give the team over to Linus Allmark as opposed to, you know, once Tuka Rask comes back, you know, it'll be back to being Rask's team. I don't think that they'll go that route. But who knows? You know, I I could potentially be wrong here. Uh, So we are down to about the last – 15 minutes of the on-air portion of our podcast before we go into the after show. Uh, With the recent problems that we've been having with Blog Talk Radio recently, uh, we are going to take a little music break right now so that I can disconnect and reconnect and hopefully uh, we'll be able to stay on for the full extra hour. Uh, But, yeah, I'm going to play some music right now and we will be right back.
All right, we are back. Uh, hopefully, I end up I end up staying on here for the uh, rest of the duration of tonight's show. Uh, we do have some other news when it comes to the NHL. Uh, first off, here, according to uh, ESPN, a federal judge has officially ruled that San Jose Sharks forward Evander Kane must go through discovery in a lawsuit from an individual named Hope Parker who claims that Kane promised to give her at least $2 million if she aborted her pregnancy. Now, Parker originally sued Kane back in 2018, but the case had been delayed by the pandemic. Kane said that he had changed his mind about paying Parker before she gave him proof of the abortion, uh, but the bankruptcy judge, Stephen Johnson, ruled to move the case on to the next phase. Uh, the plaintiff was, it says here, the plaintiff, being Parker, was unwilling to terminate the third pregnancy until defendant, being Evander Kane, offered her 2 to $3 million to do so. Then on June 13, 2018, the plaintiff sent the defendant a text message of her lab results, which confirmed that she had terminated the third pregnancy. When the plaintiff requested the defendant update, uh, update her on the status of her payment, the defendant for the first time told the plaintiff that he was not going to pay her, stating, I'll have my lawyer contact you. I'm not dealing with this any further then. I can infer from the complaint that the plaintiff falsely said he would pay to abort the third pregnancy and that he did so to deceive her into actually undergoing that abortion. Kane is also facing unrelated allegations that he bet on his own games and even went as far as to intentionally try to lose in order to win those bets, which is a charge that he's denied, but the NHL is currently investigating. There have also been reports over the summer that some of his teammates want him gone as well over various locker room issues. I mean, uh, the former co-host of this show, Tom Bouchard, you know, he knows an awful lot about Evander Kane, considering the fact that Kane uh, was a former Buffalo Sabre. And I talked to him earlier this week, and he said this comes as no surprise whatsoever because he is an absolute dirtbag, scumbag, you know, just basically uh, this is just another another step in the ongoing, you know, the ongoing controversies surrounding Evander Kane. And, you know, this to me screams that he realized, that he realized, you know, he made a mistake. He got a girl, he got a woman pregnant and, you know, his, uh, his, his wife or his current girlfriend, I don't know if it's his wife or girlfriend or whatever, uh, would, would possibly find out about it. And this, I just don't I don't really know what to say about this because if it's true that he promised to give her at least around two to three million dollars and then she terminated her pregnancy and and he still 
didn't give her the money. I mean, I get it, you know, that's that's a case of, you know, you have to take a risk whether or not he's actually going to give you the money or not. But, you know, you're dealing with the loss of an innocent life here, basically, by terminating this pregnancy. I, uh, either way, this is just, this is a really fucked up situation here. And if this really did go, you know, if this really did go down, then he's, I don't know how much lower you can go. I mean, he's already supposedly betting on his own games uh, and intentionally losing in order to win those bets. Now he's, now he uh, he faked out somebody that he claimed he claimed he was going to pay somebody money in order to terminate a pregnancy, which she never or which she ended up doing, and then he supposedly has never paid her. I mean, this is this you know gambling is one thing, but now you're toying with the loss of an innocent life. You know, you're toying with an innocent life. This is this is just completely fucked up at this point uh, when it comes to you know I kind of have to wonder if this this could possibly be a violation I think of the uh, the conduct policy that the NHL has I would not be shocked at all if Evander Kane uh, gets suspended in some sort of way uh, from the NHL entirely Especially with the whole, obviously, if if he if if he's caught that he was gambling, he's probably banned from the league. But uh, you know, that's not nearly as severe as basically terminating an innocent life. So. I honestly, I just I feel sick even talking about this right now. You know, he is a great A asshole. By if if this turns out to be true, and this actually did happen, you know, karma karma does really build up in different ways, and. Uh, he's probably going to be seeing some come his way, uh, and not in a good way, might I add, because uh, karma does build up, and when it when it releases, it releases like a bitch. So, uh, yeah, Kane, Evander Kane, is, if this is true, he's going to have something coming to him sooner or later. Uh Moving on from one NHL controversy to another, uh, Jack Eichel, who has had his own problems with the Buffalo Sabres organization recently, uh, it was announced that he is changing agents and he will now be represented by Pat Brisson of the Creative Artists Agency. Uh, this move was first reported by Sportsnet's Elliot Friedman, and it has been since confirmed by other reporters as well. Uh, Peter Fish and Peter Donatelli of Global Hockey Consultants had been the agents of Eichel prior to this move. They released a statement nearly a month ago expressing their disappointment with the Buffalo Sabres regarding the team's process 
in dealing with his injury, as well as the lack of progress made on the trade front. Uh, Now, this could be a potential boost to revitalize things uh, when it comes to a potential Jack Eichel trade here. But obviously, the general manager, Kevin Adams, does remain in control. And he hasn't been in a rush to complete a move, which, I mean, let's face it, why would he be considering the fact that uh, Jack Eichel is under team control for quite some time? Uh, So, you know, it's – and considering he's a franchise player, you know, I don't think that they would be in any rush to deal Eichel to begin with. Uh, Lou, welcome back to the show. Um, Thanks. I I had just, or I've been talking about Jack Eichel for the past minute here, but uh, I want to get your thoughts. We're we're gonna we're gonna go back. As much as I hate to do this, we're gonna go back to the most recent story that I just talked about, um, right. and it involves Evander Kane. Uh, we already Ooh. know how many we all we already know how many controversies he's already going through uh, to begin with. Yes. He's already uh, he's already facing allegations that he bet on his own games and went as far as to intentionally try to lose in order to win those bets. Uh, right, the NHL of course. Is currently investigating that, but now a federal judge has ruled that Evander Kane must go through discovery in a lawsuit from a woman named Hope Parker, who claims that Kane promised to give her at least $2 million if she aborted her pregnancy. (laughs) Parker originally sued Kane back in 2018, but the case had been delayed by the pandemic, obviously. Uh, Right. Kane said that he had changed his mind about paying Parker before she gave him proof of the abortion, but bankruptcy judge Stephen Johnson ruled to move the case to the next phase. The plaintiff, uh, it says here, Parker was unwilling to terminate the third pregnancy until Evander Kane offered her 2 to $3 million to do so. Then on June 13, 2018, uh, Parker sent Kane a text message of her lab results, which confirmed that she had terminated the third pregnancy. When Parker requested that Kane update her on the status of her payment, for the first time, Kane told her that he was not going to pay her, stating, I'll have my lawyer contact you. I'm not dealing with this any further then. So basically, he falsely said he would pay her in order for her to abort that third pregnancy, and he did so to deceive her into actually undergoing that abortion. Now, betting on games is one thing. Yes. But you're dealing with the loss of an innocent life here, of terminating an innocent life. Yes. I and don't, I, don't, I don't prove that at all. I mean, I, I talked with Tom who, you know, you remember he was the uh, he was the co-host at one point of Sports Whispers Weekly. Um, right. And, you know, he told me he was not surprised at all by, by the hearing, hearing of this because, you know, Evander Kane has been a scumbag and he, will always, he always will be a scumbag. Uh, he was a scumbag even back when he was a Buffalo Sabre. Uh, but 
No, what, what are your thoughts on this? What are your thoughts on this, Lou? Because, you know, there's a chance that this is true. There's a chance that this is not true. I mean, could somebody really be, could somebody like an athlete really be this fucked up and morally, not just literally bankrupt, no. but also morally bankrupt? Well, mostly um, financially bankrupt. I mean, morally, <laughs> morally bankrupt is kind of, you know, it's hard more to uh, classify. But, you know, you see a lot of screwballs in the sports world these days. And, of course, anybody from the Sabres is screwed up since they can't do shit for themselves. That's not a story altogether. But, uh, you know, this is just, you know, um, totally unacceptable. I mean, I'm not for that either. You know, we're talking about human life here, and, you know, you had to come to that. I'm sorry. I don't I don't approve of that whatsoever. So, yeah, he is, he is completely morally screwed up. What an idiot. I mean, he's... He's all. I, I would assume he's probably going to face some sort of legal ramifications. Uh, yes. Depending on on how the judge, depending on how the judge and potentially a jury rules this, uh, but I would assume you know he's going to get banned if if the uh, if the betting thing comes up true. But I would think there should be some sort of severe punishment for something like this. For I've ripped to give it out. To promise. For him to promise a woman that he would pay her to do this, and then she ends up doing it, and now all of a sudden he's not going to pay her. You know that. I mean, you're you're basically committing murder right there. You are. It, it honestly, it just, it just makes me it makes me sick to my stomach. Like even talking about me too. this right I don't now, like it either. I never thought that somebody that somebody could be that uh, you know somebody somebody could be that morally bankrupt. To well, that's not surprising really because I, you know, there's a lot of that in the more these days. Yeah, you know, I wish I could say I I agree with you. I wish I could say I was surprised. But no. I'm not really surprised, you know. No. That obviously there's a lot of stuff like this going around. But screwballs. Yeah. Anyways, let's move on. Um the yes. over to the NBA, we had a huge huge move. Yeah. Breakout uh, yesterday involving Laurie Markinen heading to yeah. the Cleveland Cavaliers in a sign and trade that involves the Portland Trailblazers and the Chicago Bulls. With Mar- with Markinen inking a four year, sixty seven million dollar deal uh, with the Cavaliers in this in this deal, Larry Nance Jr. heads over to Portland, which this is a big. W, I feel, for Portland. The fact that they were able to get Larry Nance Jr. for for basically being a facilitator for this trade. Uh, And Derek Jones Jr. goes to Chicago as well in this trade. The Bulls also pick up a pair of protected draft picks, one first rounder and one second rounder in the deal as well. So they extracted some value 
for marketing. Now, as far as the protections go, I don't think it's I don't think it's been made known yet what the actual protections are on those picks. Mm. Uh, but Markkinen does get a fresh start after he had a down season this year where he was demoted to the second unit, uh, though he does still mm. face some competition for minutes in a Cavaliers front court with Evan Mobley, Jarrett Allen, and potentially Kevin Love if they don't buy him out, which has been rumored. Um, yes, I'm buying that. But compared to his bleak outlook that he had with the Bulls, he's probably in a much better position with the Cavaliers, considering he can play multiple positions. Uh, And obviously, fantasy-wise, it's still a much better situation for his fantasy value for people that play fantasy basketball. Um, It's also a subtly excellent move for Portland, giving them a versatile experience big to bolster their second unit with Larry Nance Jr. Uh, Nance faces minimal competition sitting behind Yusuf Nurkic and Robert Covington as the Blazers' frontcourt debt is limited to just Nasir Little and and Cody Zeller, which, I mean, let's face it, Larry Nance Jr. is going to outperform both of them every single time. Uh, Durability, though, has become a problem for Nance uh, as his 2020-2021 season ended with a fractured thumb. But he does need only 24-plus minutes in order to make a positive impact. Uh, So, I mean, he's probably going to get that in Portland to begin with. Um, Derek Jones Jr., he gives Chicago added depth and, de- and a defensive punch as well, and it's a, a fairly low-risk deal for the Bulls since he's in the final year of an expiring deal. Uh, playing time should be plentiful uh, in Chicago's second unit for Jones Jr., giving their iffy wing depth. But Jones has been an uninspiring fantasy player, though, however. He has only averaged 6.8 points and 3.5 rebounds in 22.7 minutes last season. Uh, and he's not a guy that if you're looking for, you know, fantasy players, he's not a guy that you would that you would uh, reach out and grab, basically. Uh, but what are you, what are your thoughts here? Because Cleveland they get a remarkable young player in Laurie Markkinen, who I mean, granted he had a down year last year, but he is primed yeah. to potentially have a rebound year this year with Cleveland. You know, they're trying to to stack up on young assets and, you know, make their way back to the playoffs in the post-LeBron era. I mean, this is a pretty pretty huge deal for them here. It is. I mean, what are are your thoughts, Lou? Yeah, this looks like a... Deal. But the but you know Cleveland isn't doing so well you know either this year. I mean yeah, that they need a lot of help. Yeah, they do need a lot of help. But yeah. uh, but when you look at when you look at their uh, at their roster, um, I think it's entirely possible that he may actually he may actually start out as. Uh, uh, you know, start out starting some games here, depending on. Let me take a look, actually. Here, let me see. 
who they have heading into this year because obviously we know we know that they uh you know they're building their team pretty much around the likes of Darius Garland and uh and Colin Sexton out there. Yeah. But I mean looking at I'm trying to think if there if there would be an upgrade because you got Kevin Love and you got Jarrett Allen as the as the power forward and the center. Sure. You know, honestly, I could yeah. probably see him starting at small forward in terms of as yeah, far as Markman yeah. goes. Logical. So, you know, I think this. I think this, especially with Larry Nance Jr. being moved. Well, Nance Jr. was a power forward, yeah. anyways. Uh, but right. you know, this is a pretty a pretty massive pickup, I think, for the Cavaliers. You know, especially looking at looking at where they landed last year in the NBA, uh, in the standings. Mm-hmm. You know, they they didn't even make the uh, the play in tournament to begin with. Yeah, you know, they. Uh, they were the third worst team in the Eastern Conference. They were about 11 games out of the play-in tournament. I think it's possible, especially with the play-in tournament staying in the league uh, moving forward, you know, you could see Cleveland be a bubble team potentially next year. Mm, I'm not going to Cleveland yet. No? No. I, I mean, mean look, I mean, they're I, on the same team since LeBron left. True. I mean, since LeBron and Kyrie both left, yeah, they uh, they haven't been the same team. Uh, yeah. You know, obviously they're going through massive growing pains right now. But I take a look at, you know, the, the teams above them. I mean, Chicago, obviously, they're probably going to be uh, within the, the thick of things of potentially getting into the play-in tournament next year. Uh, right. Once all of their big acquisitions that they had at the deadline, once they get the chance to play with each other more and more. Uh, I think the Wizards, you may see the Wizards bounce out of the play-in tournament. I don't think the Wizards will even be in contention this year. Hmm. Considering they lost Westbrook, and even though they got... Oh, they're they're, they're going to be a dumpster fire. Yeah, you know, e- even though they got Dinwiddie from uh, from Brooklyn, I mean, I just... Yeah. Dinwiddie Dinwid. isn't on the same level. No. He isn't on the same level as West, as Westbrook, so... No, 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 no. You know, it's... I mean, Washington, they finished in the eighth seed last year. I honestly, I could see them falling out of the picture. I think. Uh, I do too. Well, the Raptors, they're probably out of it because I believe they lost Pascal Siakam. So the Raptors mm-hmm. uh, shouldn't even be looked at as a possibility. I think it's possible you could see Chicago or Cleveland, if, if this market and trade improves them that much, you could see Cleveland potentially uh, in the mix here along with Chicago for that final spot. And That's obviously the Pacers and Hornets I don't see it happening with uh, Cleveland. I don't see it with Cleveland at all. 
it would more than likely probably be Chicago then because they got Lonzo Ball. Yeah. Uh, even though they lost to Markinen, you know, they they got Lonzo Ball. Um, obviously, you know, all their uh, – you could pretty much say that the, that the Chicago Bulls made all their moves at the deadline last year to prepare for this year, to prepare for this season. I wouldn't put it past it. So – Considering they finished just two games out of the play-in tournament last year, they were 31 and 41, while Charlotte made it in at 33 and 39. Mm. Chicago was right on the cusp, so yeah. I think it's entirely possible that you know we may see we may see Chicago sneak right in, unless all of a sudden you know Spencer Dinwiddie proves that he's on the same level as. Russell Westbrook and Washington just ends up staying right where I they were. I don't think so. I mean, I just I I agree with you. I don't see it happening. I just uh, you know I, I'll go as far as to say this: with Westbrook now officially in the mix in L.A., I think you're looking at L.A. being a potential front runner again. Yes. I mean, granted, you have you have an aging LeBron James out there uh, with the Lakers, uh, but assuming that James and uh, assuming that James and Anthony Davis can both stay healthy this season, you add in Russell Westbrook into that equation, you've got a big three right there. And yeah, uh, assuming assuming that Rajon Rondo supposedly is going to rejoin the Lakers. You know, you've got you've got depth there in the in the the bench, you know. I'm sorry, that's just that's so weird. I thought I heard something. I'm kind of I'm still here actually now. No, I know I know you're still here, but I I thought I heard something coming out of because I I have one earbud in right now, and it sounded like I heard something like some sort of voice coming from outside maybe or something. I don't know. Um, yeah, but you know I I think you know. When you take Russell Westbrook out of Washington and you bring him over to L.A., I think that revitalizes the Lakers. And you're probably looking at the Lakers uh, being up within the, you know, one of the front runners again for the Western Conference. It looks to be that way because there was, you know, they were uh, making predictions already, and they said the Lakers and the uh, and the Nets battling for the uh, championship. With the Nets, with the Nets having the best uh, odds and the most wins in the regular season, I don't know how many people buy into that because you know when they make these predictions, it never really comes true anyway. But uh, well, uh, they're expected. They said fifty-four point five wins for for the Lakers or for the Nets. The Nets, the Nets. You know, I can kind of see that actually. I can see that really. 
with uh, I mean, you saw how how off, how good their offense was when everybody stayed healthy. When everybody stayed right, healthy, yes. as soon as soon as they got James Harden last year, their offensive production went through the roof. And this was yes. without Dinwiddie. With, with, this was with Dinwiddie out for the entire rest of the season. You know, their their offensive production went completely through the roof to where yes. they had, the, like, their only competition for the number two spot was Milwaukee. And right. Milwaukee, of course, you know, they ended up going on to win the title. But, uh I mean, they had 48 wins last year. They were 48 and 24. Uh, if they had, you know, if they had a couple more games, I think easily they get to at least 50 wins, maybe 52 wins. So I think it's entirely possible when you get when you give them a whole entire uh, uh, another year, you know, to be able to gel together with with Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant. And James Harden, I think that I think that is a very dynamite, uh, you know, big three. I would actually think that maybe perhaps that might be better than LeBron James, uh, Anthony Davis, and Russell Westbrook. I think it'll probably come down to if if there's a matchup between those two teams in the NBA Finals next year. I think it may come down to who has the more superior bench. Yeah, because because both both big threes are equally as impressive. But I mean, the Nets—they were just putting up numbers like it was nothing last year. You know, games were over by the third quarter, right? For them, so I'm easily looking at Brooklyn as the favorite in the Eastern Conference next year. Maybe with Milwaukee. I think Milwaukee will be right behind them. I expect to see Philadelphia drop this year. Oh especially yeah. uh with the rumor with the rumor that they're gonna get rid of Ben Simmons. Uh I expect to see Philadelphia Good. drop to at least to at least three or four. They and I would expect seven. out of the – oh, yeah, especially. Especially considering the fact that, you know, he has been hesitant to shoot in the fourth quarter. You know, they can't rely on Embiid all the time in order to get things done. They need production – out of Ben Simmons, who is supposed to be their second all-pro, basically, on that team. Right. So, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm expecting that we're probably going to see a drop come out, of, uh, come out of Philadelphia next year. Uh, I would expect, you know, the Knicks, the Knicks, they will probably remain around the same probably the same as the Hawks also. Yeah. Uh, Miami, I think Miami will probably remain the Well, actually, no. Miami, they got Kyle Lowry. So mm-hmm. I think it's possible maybe Miami might rise. I think Boston probably remains the same. Uh, they'll be a seventh or eighth seed. Uh, 
uh, Washington. I mean, who knows? We'll we'll see what happens with right. uh, with Bradley Beal and uh, and what's his name, Bradley Beal and Spencer Dinwiddie, whether or not they're able to coexist. Um, but hmm. you know, I. Honestly, I, I, I really think that it's it's entirely possible we could see uh, a matchup between Brooklyn and LA in the finals next year. Yeah, it would not it would not shock me at all. Neither would I. Now uh, let's see some other some other bits of news here. Uh, Nerlens Noel is suing his former agent, Rich Paul, of Clutch Sports, yeah. alleging that Paul cost him around $58 million in potential career earnings. Noel claims that back in 2017, Paul came between him and his former agent, Happy Walters, saying that if he ended the relationship with Walters and signed with Clutch Sports, Paul could get him a max deal. Noel did just that, joining the clutch team and adhering to Paul's advice. He ended up signing a one-year, $4.1 million offer sheet with the Knicks. Now, according to Noel, he had a four-year, $70 million deal on the table from the Mavericks, but he was instead advised to sign a one-year deal and enter free agency the following offseason and seek a $100 million max contract. Now, of course, Noel ended up getting injured, and he proceeded to sign multiple short-term deals before terminating his relationship with Paul and Clutch Sports, and finally signing a three-year, $32 million deal with the Knicks this offseason. And now he's trying to reclaim that $58 million that he claims Paul costed him in salary. I want to get your thoughts, Lou, on uh, on this because you know, considering Rich Paul, yeah, you know, he's consider- he's considered to be basically the Scott Boris of <laughs> basketball agents. Yeah, I so this that. this honestly this honestly doesn't come to much of a surprise to me. What are your thoughts? Uh, on me this? either. Uh, it doesn't come as a surprise to me either. You know, the sports agents, you know, think they, you know, have control over everybody. And, uh, you know, I, I can see Noel uh, pleading his case here. You know, $56 million, that's a lot of money. And, you know, I, th- I think he's, you know, is entitled to it. So this doesn't really get, this doesn't really surprise me whatsoever. Yeah, it's you know it, it it doesn't really come as much of a shock, honestly. And it shouldn't. Uh, but you know when you think about it, Nerland Noel, he's always been that type of player that has yeah. with, with 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 the way that his stock has risen over the last couple of years. You know, a lot of people thought yes. that he would cash in. So I think it 
it surprised a lot of people when he when he instead signed a one-year deal worth about $4.1 million with the Knicks as opposed to agreeing with the Mavericks. And I can see where he's where he's coming from here because that's a lot of money to keep off to you know to take off of the table uh, with this with this guy basically saying that he could easily get him a hundred million dollars uh, the next time he enters free agency. I mean, to me, this this just this seems like it was more of a scam just to just to basically. Get himself oh, another high, right now. Uh, high profile client. So, I mean, this this really shouldn't come as much of a surprise, honestly. Uh, there is one other thing. So, you know, speaking of the Nets, uh, it's been reported that DeAndre Jordan. Hello. Yeah, I'm still here. Oh, okay. Uh, what's it called? I had heard something come out of my uh, come out of my headset. Um, oh. So DeAndre Jordan is reportedly expected to be moved this off season, apparently, uh, from the Brooklyn Nets, as he's his name has reportedly come up in plenty of trade rumors throughout not just the draft but also this off season, but nothing has materialized to this point. Uh, it's unlikely that they'll be able to get much for him anyways, so Brooklyn may be forced to waive him. But it could be a tough pill for them to swallow with Jordan still on the books for close to $20 million through 2023. So it, 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 it says either way, it doesn't sound like DeAndre Jordan will still be with the team by next season's end. I don't think so either. I guess this kind of makes sense because they're already investing so much money in their big three that they have to be able to recover some money some way. And the way to do that is by getting rid of, uh, you know, by cutting down on some bench players, which. Yes. Well, actually, no, he's not really, he's not really a bench player. He is their starting center, but. uh, Right. I think with them bringing in. Um, Blake Griffin, like they have, and seeing Blake Griffin basically become revitalized, I think that's given them more insurance that, okay, maybe perhaps, or more assurance that they would be better off going with Blake Griffin as opposed to keeping DeAndre Jordan. Uh, We did have some football news, first starting with college football. Uh, The Big Ten, Pac-12, and ACC officially announced a working alliance between the three conferences. According to ACC Commissioner Jim Phillips, releasing a statement saying that the ACC, Big Ten, and Pac-12 recognize the unique environment and challenges currently facing intercollegiate athletics. And we are proud and confident in this timely and necessary alliance that brings together like-minded institutions and conferences focused on the overall educational missions of our preeminent institutions. <clears throat> Bullshit. Bullshit, right. There's only one, yeah, reason, 
there's only one reason why this alliance is being formed. It's because the SEC, well, yeah, not just money, but the SEC stole Oklahoma and Texas. Right, yes. That's the only reason why this alliance is being formed. And it says here that the conferences intend to work together on issues like the college football playoff, NCAA governance, and scheduling. So basically they want easier schedules is what it's coming down to here because the SEC is so stacked apparently. They're so threatened by the SEC. Stacked or whacked? Well, I guess stacked. Could be either or, though. (laughs) I mean, I just think this is a whole bunch of bullshit that uh, they feel so threatened. They feel so threatened by the SEC. Let's face it, the SEC would kick their asses any year anyways. So, you know, they've added Oklahoma and Texas. You know, big deal. They would end up facing them anyways. So, I mean, I understand, you know, they lose a little bit of revenue because of the media rights rights deals that they sign. But, you know, some of these teams should be happy that they don't have to deal, uh, you know, they don't have to face Oklahoma or Texas as often as they used to have, as as often as they used to have to. Yes. But, hey, what do I know? Hey. I mean, the whole the whole thing is just that you know, just just a complete you know, shithole. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, it's it's like you know, you know what happened with the other conferences, and now this is like, well, this is our chance to get revenge. I'm like, screw this. It's gonna cause more chaos for the alliances, and it's gonna really screw college football. Nobody likes to make things simple yeah. anymore. Yeah. Uh, Also, it says here that um, LSU will officially become the first uh, the first institution to require that all fans present uh, some sort of some sort of proof of COVID vaccination or a negative test or a false test within the past 72 hours in order to enter Tiger Stadium at all this season. Mm. Now, I know obviously, you know, in every uh, in every state, there's obviously differing opinions on, on all these, uh, on the vaccination, uh, whether or not people believe that people should be vaccinated or whether they believe it's, uh, you know, they have the right to either to, you know, if they have the right to refuse vaccination and stuff like that. Uh, but, I mean, I think it should honestly, with the, with the rising numbers, especially down in the South, I think it should be a no-brainer because, yes. you know, why, if you want to keep fans coming to the arenas, you got to be responsible. You got to mm-hmm. actively show, you know, that you that you don't have that you don't have COVID or that you are vaccinated. I mean, it's just it's it's just a common courtesy basically at this point. Yeah, but knowing people, but 
there's not too many people that are aware of common courtesy anyway, so, you know, factor no. that in. Yeah, obviously, you know, especially down south where uh, where yeah. all of the cases are rising right now. Right. Well, the, the most, I should say, where they're rising yes. the most. Um, all right, over to the NFL. We do have a couple of uh, a couple of quarterback battles to talk about. We also have uh, some quarterback news, as a matter of fact, as according to Yahoo's Charles Robinson, he is reporting that the Miami Dolphins are the front runner in Deshaun Watson trade talks, and that the Texans are seeking three first round picks and two second round picks in any deal for Watson. Uh, Teams that were also involved in the discussions were the Carolina Panthers, who have since decided to go with, uh, who have since just decided to move forward with Sam Darnold. Uh, The Denver Broncos, who are moving forward now with Teddy Bridgewater. That's right, Bridgewater beat out Drew Locke for the starting quarterback job. Yep. and the Philadelphia Eagles, who instead have decided, nah, we're going to trade for Gardner Minshew instead. Um, you know, those three teams were in some element of trade consideration as well. Uh, but one of the big things that has weighed heavily on this whole process is the fact that Watson does have the right to approve a trade to any destination that he wants. So he does have a no-trade clause, basically, in his deal. Also, interested parties are angling for pick protections in any trade to mitigate a potential NFL suspension or criminal prosecution that are tied to ongoing investigations by the FBI, as well as Harris County Prosecutor and Houston PD into the sexual assault allegations from multiple women against Deshaun Watson, which is understandable. You know, you want to have certain protections on those picks that in case, in case you do acquire him and something does happen, you know, you don't want to acquire somebody and, you know, their career basically goes to shit, you know, say he, say he goes to jail for God knows how many years. Uh, Right. And, you know, all of a sudden, there you go. You've lost all of your all of those draft picks. So it makes sense that people would be angling for pick protections uh, in the right. case that this potentially happens. Um, and you know, it's that last detail that makes it so hard to believe that any team is really seriously pursuing him right now, or that the Texans would be maintaining such a hard. Uh, such a hard line in trade talks when it comes to what their demands are. So it does seem right now that teams believe that Watson will end up uh, in the legal clear that basically he'll be cleared to play and, you know, he'll be cleared of any wrongdoing. Uh, And it said, based on the publicly available facts, that is hard to believe at least anytime soon. It's also stunning that the Dolphins would be in the lead as they have worked hard to convey a sense of being all in on Tua Tungabailoa. So acquiring Watson at anywhere close to that trade price would be an extraordinarily risky move, and it's hard to believe 
that there's a real chance that this trade even happens. When you think about it, Lou, it kind of makes the yeah. most sense considering Miami acquired huh. all of those assets from uh, from not just not just the the Niners, but also from uh, from Philly. You know, they acquired all these assets well, in trading back like they did. So they could probably they could probably afford to give up the the asking price that Houston is asking for. Without without severely damaging their future. Uh, right, what are, like what are your thoughts on this? Well, we put like that. I think it does, uh, you know, change things a bit. Yeah, because I mean, keep keep in mind they got a shit ton of draft assets from uh, yeah. from. San Francisco just so that San Francisco could trade up and draft uh, Trey Lance. Then they traded back again, this time with Philly, and Philly gave them, I believe, another first-round pick as well. So, you know, they added so many assets before the draft this year that, you know, they can afford being – they can afford uh, to – Trade away yes. some of these some of these draft picks, and I would assume that probably Tua Tonga Bailoa would probably go in the deal as well. So, you know, Houston would have their quarterback of the future, and Miami would immediately jump right towards the top of the uh, of the AFC East race even though they're already there anyways. But, you know, uh, acquiring the likes of Deshaun Watson, would it would easily make him the second-best quarterback, uh, if not the top quarterback in the division. Although, I don't know, though. I still think Josh Allen is the number one quarterback right now. I would have to go with that, yes. Yeah, probably. Uh, the Eagles, they acquired Gardner Minshew from the Jaguars for a conditional six-round pick earlier today. That was a surprise. Uh, it was, yes, especially considering the fact that um, the Jaguars, you know, they have Trevor Lawrence. They better hope to God that Trevor Lawrence does not get injured. Oh, yeah. If Lawrence gets injured – who do they have to fall back on? No one. Exactly. I don't think they even – they would have had Gardner Minshew to fall back on, but uh, apparently Trevor Lawrence, Lawrence must be, Trevor Lawrence must be a god or something that he, uh, you know, he'll never get injured. Uh, he'll never get injured like oh. he did in college. And, uh, oh. you know, he'll be – He'll be basically uh, this iron, uh, this Iron Man, basically for uh, for the NFL, competing in all of the games that he plays for the Jaguars. Okay, Pepper, where's my suit? 
I Sorry, mean, I couldn't. I, I just couldn't you. resist. I know. I know. You completely trust. Trust me. Trust me. I had a. Uh, I had an urge to uh, to try and throw in one of those Robert Downey uh, one of those Robert Downey Jr. quips that he would yeah. always do. But um, yeah, you know, I I think it's a very ballsy move by the Jaguars to do to uh, yes. to get rid of Minshew. Um, but however, it is a good landing spot for Minshew because this now puts more pressure on Jalen Hurts. Because if yeah, what do you Hertz, think with that lineup Hertz though? I mean, you got you got Hurts, um, yeah, because now they got three. They got three quarterbacks that I think they're they're vying for. Yeah. So uh, well, I think I think what this I think what this tells me, I think what this tells me is that Sirianni, uh, their their general manager, isn't sold on uh, on. Jalen Hurts as their quarterback. I mean, the fact that he's been competing with Joe Flacco, the fact that he's been competing with Joe Flacco of all all players. Big mistake. I I honestly, yeah, I honestly think that Gardner Minshew, he's probably, you know, when he's inserted into this, I think it's possible. Well, first off, I would put Gardner Minshew above Flacco anyways uh, at this point. But yeah. I think it's entirely possible you could be looking at Minshew as a potential starter this year. If hmm. if for some reason if for some reason Philly decides to uh hold back Jalen Hurts, which I don't understand why they would, because if you were if you're gonna hold back Hurts, why the fuck did you trade uh Carson Wentz? Yeah, that's what I you know, know, I thought that I thought that you know, wouldn't you think, Lou, that the trade of Carson Wentz basically means that this is Jalen Hurts' team? Yes. I, it just doesn't make any sense whatsoever. But uh, some things just Philly, don't. They, Philly still hasn't uh, announced their starter. Oh, uh, there is a. Uh, there is a uh, what's it called stipulation on that pick that they got. The sixth round pick will turn into a fifth round pick if Gardner Minshew plays at least fifty percent of the snaps in at least three games with the Eagles this season. So if the, if he does that, it becomes a fifth round pick instead of a sixth round pick. Right. Which kind of makes sense, I guess, considering, uh, you know, considering the fact that it looks like, judging from what I just read, there's a distinct possibility we could see we could see Minshew play a couple of games this year. Mm. Um, now, as far as quarterback competitions go, uh, Mac Jones and Cam Newton. It sounds like this may go all the way down to the wire because Belichick still has not named a starter for week one. Yeah. And Mac Jones seemingly impressed this week with uh, Cam Newton uh, breaking COVID protocol. He basically had to be out for five days after leaving the state, supposedly, to get medical work done in another state. Here's the one thing I don't get, Lou. 
Yeah. Why do you need medical work done? Why do you need medical work done in another state when, when the uh, right. the New England Patriots have probably some of the best doctors surrounding them? Yeah, I, I, that doesn't make a lot of sense at all. If it doesn't, you know, a lot of people believe that Cam Newton decided he missed his family and he went home to Atlanta to see his family. That's what some people think, uh, right. but. You know, Newton, he ended up missing five days. Uh, Mac Jones stepped in. He got first He got first uh, reps with the first team for all of those days, and he really impressed. He had a bad start at the start of uh, the week. He had a very good day, though, the second day with the starters. Uh, he missed, I think, a total of maybe six passes, and they said that, Within the one day that he had, uh, you know, that one good day, it looked like, uh, you know, this is an uh, this is an actual quote from one of Boston's beat writers from NBC Sports Boston's Tommy Curran. Uh, he said, "There's no on-field reason for Cam Newton to ever take a meaningful regular season snap for the Patriots while Mac Jones is upright and able." Because, and it says here, with Newton gone, Jones has taken 500-plus practice reps, working exclusively with the ones and getting all of the work. Newton was great in last season or in last week's preseason game, which is true. He was, he, he did look pretty, uh, pretty effective last week. Uh, but Jones has also been impressive uh, all preseason long so far. And New England held joint practices with the Giants this week where it said Jones, in that, sec- in, in that first day of joint practices, Jones absolutely carved up the Giants' 11th-ranked defense. I mean, it would be different if, the, if it was like a lower-ranked defense, like 28th, 29th, or 30th, you know. Right. Everybody would expect Jones to, to actually have a good day. But the fact that he absolutely destroyed the Giants' 11th-ranked defense in the league, I mean, that is, they called it a statement day, basically. And, you know, they said that if Newton comes back, he would have to – he would have to basically dominate Jones in order to take the quarterback, uh, the, the, the yeah. starting quarterback spot. And from all accounts, it didn't really sound like Newton was, I mean, Newton was impressive, but it, it didn't seem like Newton took it basically, you know? And, I think I think kind of speaks uh, volumes the fact that Belichick still hasn't named a starter yet. I think it's possible that this this uh, this race is still potentially up in the air when you have oh, other teams like this when you have other teams like the Saints already declaring that Jameis Winston is going to start Week One. Uh, you have the Broncos already declaring Teddy Bridgewater as the starting quarterback. But yet, 
you still have this active competition going on right now between Mac Jones and Cam Newton. Uh, and I think also the circumstances that, you know, they said that there are, there are people within the Patriots organization that are growing frustrated with Newton over the events that took place this week. I mean, is this really the quarterback that you want to put in control of your team? Uh, I wouldn't. You know, that you need to, that you need to rely on this guy, this guy that, uh, they labeled it as a quote-unquote misunderstanding with the COVID policy due to him being unvaccinated. I mean, you know, what if, the, what if this shit happens close to playoff time? You oh, know, where he ends screwed. up having to miss, when he ends up having to miss valuable time, you know, putting putting not just his job, but also the Patriots' season potentially at risk. And uh, somebody said, one of the Patriots' beat writers said, if Newton is the starting quarterback week one, then this is, not the, then this is no longer the same team that, that I have covered that has won six Super Bowls and been to nine. Actually, I think they've been to more, but during the Brady era, they went to nine. Right. You know, uh, they said they said that if if Newton is still the, the starting quarterback, then this isn't the same team that I've covered all these years anymore. Right. And I would I would kind of have to agree because this is not the Patriot way, you know. It, it sort of seems like ever since Belichick split up from Brady that Belichick has been more relaxed. You know, he hasn't been the strict Belichick that he once was. The same Bill Belichick who uh, who fired uh, Albert Hainsworth for showing up to practice late. You know, this isn't that same Bill Belichick that we've been seeing here. And not to mention, not only did he fire him during pre- uh, after missing practice, but it was during the playoffs of all times Ugh. that they released him. I just feel that you know, if Newton is the is the starter still come week one, then pretty much he can do anything and get away with it, essentially. But I would think that with the way he's handled this situation so far with the, with the whole COVID thing, you know, it's it's irresponsible basically because you're putting not just you're putting the team at risk, uh, you know, to yeah. potentially if they end up having to switch from him over to Mac Jones in yeah. say like the middle of a week. And say the middle of a week where they're all, where they've already started pre- preparation, you know that uh, that puts their whole entire game plan through a loop. That instead of preparing for Cam Newton being a quarterback, they'll then have to prepare for Mac Jones being a quarterback. It's it's irresponsible basically, and I have a feeling this isn't the only time that we'll be talking about this this season. I don't think so either. 
I think it's entirely possible that uh, you know this is this is just going to continue basically. Oh yeah. Now the, the question is how they, long? Well, until until Newton gets released. Until Newton gets released or traded. Right. Mm. Uh, also, the you know the Saints they officially named Jameis Winston as the number one starter, which honestly to me that kind of makes sense because it does. Taysom Hill, Taysom Hill. I've always seen Taysom Hill as more of a tight end than as a quarterback. Okay, but answer me this: uh, Do you think it made sense that the Bears went with <laughs> Andy Dalton? Oh God. What the hell are you thinking? At first, yes, it made but, it made sense if they weren't if they weren't going to bring back Mitch Trubisky. It made sense for them to go with Dalton as he was uh, probably one of the better starters on the market. And also, they waited so long. Uh, they waited so long that uh, they missed out on Fitzpatrick as well when they could have had Fitzpatrick. Um, I see. Now, with that being said, with Justin Fields impressing like he has in the preseason, I'm not so sure that Andy Dalton is going to be quarterback for long. I hope there. I would not be surprised if we see a switch midseason, if the Bears, especially if the Bears start to struggle underneath Dalton. I wouldn't be surprised if we see it before that, like maybe like week three, because we know how bad Dalton is. Yeah. You know, because from what I've seen out of fields so far this preseason, he's been one of the better performing, uh, you know, quarterbacks of the preseason this year. Even though the Bears have lost pretty much all of their preseason games, I think, Fields was always yeah. the one bringing the Bears back into games. Yes. So I would not be shocked at all. Schmuck. Yeah. And, you know, the fans have already let him have it, too, uh, in Chicago already. Good. Keep it up. So I would not be surprised if he, uh, if he ends up riding the pine. Uh, sooner rather than later, and Fields gets named as the starter. Bears fans, you have my deepest sympathy. Uh, Bridgewater, he beat out Drew Locke in Denver. Uh, that must have been one hell of a quarterback competition because Locke, you know, it seemed like entering the year that Locke was probably going to be, um, you know, Locke was probably going to be uh, I hate to throw the pun here, but a lock for the starting quarterback job. Um, but apparently, Locke had a pretty bad uh, training camp. Uh, he had beautiful deep throws, but he also had some head scratching interceptions as well. This uh, this training camp, so right. It looks like that Bridgewater basically won based off of his, uh, you know, based off of his all-around style of play 
and production as opposed to uh, Locke relying on the deep ball, basically, and hoping that any of his passes don't get picked. Uh, Some bad news for Ravens fans today. J.K. Dobbins, their starting running back, was forced from today's preseason game with a left knee injury. He ends up getting his leg bent backwards on an awkward tackle following a screen play, and he had to be carried into the medical tent uh, into the medical tent after being assisted off the field, and he was then carted to the locker room. Now, according to uh, yeah. one of the doctors that I follow on Twitter, he's a former doctor for the uh, for the Chargers. He said that it was that he described it as a hyperextended left knee, which likely means that he's he's going to miss extended time, uh, which this basically catapults Gus Edwards probably right into the top of uh, of potential running backs to be taken in fantasy football uh, with the drafts uh, coming up uh, coming up soon here, but it's a big big loss for the Ravens losing J.K. Dobbins this early. Another running back also uh, out for the year is Travis Etienne of the Jacksonville Jaguars. He's been placed on injured reserve with a Liz Frank injury, which is officially ending his season. Uh, He's marked as ineligible to return. And now this clouds his future upside as the Jags had spent the entire summer treating him like a pure pass-catching running back. Yeah. So now, you know, having to deal with a Liz Frank injury, you know, he's probably less likely to be used as a pass back and more now as a, a, you know, regular running back, which – he wasn't really known for that in college. He was known as being a passing back. So I think this, you know, this is pretty damaging to his potential, uh, you know, his potential upside around the league. Uh, the Jets they announced uh, they announced that their defensive end Vinny Curry will miss the entire season due to blood clots that he has developed. Uh, says here that the New York doctors caught the blood disorder and it required the removal of his spleen, so he is now on blood thinners and yeah. cannot play in a contact sport for the next three to six months, meaning that he is done for the entire season being the second free agent edge rusher that they have lost after Carl Lawson had tore his Achilles last week. It almost seems like the Jets are cursed. Whenever they get something good, they always end up being cursed somehow. It's, it, 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 I, I, I don't understand it. Neither do I. Uh, Also, free agent tight end Luke Wilson is retiring after eight seasons. Uh, He signed with the Seahawks on Tuesday, but after one practice, he basically decided that he wasn't into the game anymore, and he is officially hanging up the cleats. 
Uh, the former fifth rounder in 2013 of Seattle appeared in 102 career games with the Seahawks, Lions, and Ravens, catching 111 passes for 1,307 yards and 11 receiving touchdowns. Uh, and good news, Lou. Uh, apparently, Dak Prescott is no longer on a pitch count for reps that he can take. Thank God. So it looks like uh, things may be uh, full steam ahead for uh, for Prescott yeah. in his uh, in his return to uh, active uh, playing. It looks that way. All right. Before I get cut off, um, we'll leave it at that. We'll be back uh, next week. All right, Lou. Thanks for joining me tonight, and uh, a Thanks, reminder Steve. to all of our viewers or to all of our listeners, uh, we will be back next Saturday night for another edition of Sports Whispers Weekly. And if you haven't done so yet, you can subscribe either on blogtalkradio.com slash missyae or on iTunes and Amazon Music by searching for Missy AE. Uh, you can also find us on Apple Podcasts as well with Missy AE. Uh, you'll get access to all of our all of our other uh, podcasts that we have done, as well as some that may be coming up. But thank you guys for joining me tonight, and uh, or whenever you listen to this on the archives, and we will see you guys next Saturday night.